Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. And it's from the Bolt Studio on the Staten Island campus of St. John's University, produced by our talented team of sport management undergrads. I'm Tommy Weber, and this is The Conversation, bringing you some insights, perspective, and of course, Lots of opinions on our baseball and sports culture. Today, very special guest, um, Mike Massey, University of Illinois graduate, Gold Glove winner, the most distinguished award you can get in college baseball because they only give out nine of them. Um, Taken in the fourth round in 2019 by the Kansas City Royals. Uh, This year, 2022, after a couple of stops in Arkansas and Omaha on July 15th, uh, got the call up to the big leagues. Uh, Michael and I met in 2018, did a lot of work together, uh, sort of saw things kind of similarly uh, and gravitated towards each other and had a lot of really, really fruitful work that we got done. And we've remained close and friends uh, ever since. We talk a lot. Well, well we, we text a lot. Um, and it's great to finally have uh, an opportunity to get to do a little deep dive into the game and where Michael's at. Welcome aboard, Mike Massey. Tommy, thanks for having me on. Good to be here. My pleasure. So, you know, I thought about if I had to describe Mike Massey as a player, the first thought that came to mind was really, really high baseball IQ. And I don't mean baseball IQ because skillfully or physically um, you're not extremely uh, talented and high end. What I mean is that I, I think the thing that that stood out to me immediately when we met was just the manner in which you carried yourself, uh, how how desirous you were of wanting to uh, experience and learn the game at a very elite level. Uh, you always had your eye on the prize, very, very focused. I think a lot of that, having met your father, comes from your upbringing, um, but um, in, a, in, a, in a day and age where that is so rare, uh, I, I think that was something that really stood out to me in the beginning. Um, speak to us briefly about how you got so laser-focused and uh, so attentive to the real details that matter in the game. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think obviously, like you mentioned, you know, my dad being my coach kind of growing up my entire life was um, – you know, it was something that, that kind of started that, you know, I remember uh, when I was 10 years old, we'd be going over, you know, relays and cuts and he'd be preparing, you know, sheets at work to, to bring to practice later that night. And um, he'd send them to me and I'd be studying them before the practice. And just, we'd be talking about, Hey, if the ball's hitting the left center gap, where does the shortstop go? Where's the second baseman go? And, you know, we're talking about double cuts at, at 10 years old. Um, so I think just kind of always having that edge is, is my dad being a coach and, um, you know, you focus on those finer details of the game, I think, a little bit more. And then, um, you know, the I had, I had an older brother, uh, Andrew, who's who's three years older than me. So I think always being pushed a little bit, you know, as a younger brother and you're playing up all the time. And um, I got really used to not being the most talented guy in the field when, when you're playing with a bunch of guys that are three, four years older than you. Um, and so the only way to 
to not lose is you got to find those uh, you got to find those margins. You know, you're not going to beat you're not going to beat guys that are older than you, especially at that age when you're extremely underdeveloped. Um, you know, there's a big difference between a 12 year old and a 15 year old. Um, so, so trying to trying to find those margins and, and ways to beat those guys was was something that helped me. And, and um, you know, being from the Chicago area, I grew up with a lot of guys. Um, it was a very competitive baseball area. There's a lot of guys who went on to play, um, you know, Division One college baseball and uh, on to pro ball and into the big leagues. And so it was something for me that um, always motivated me when you talk about that passion and that desire. And, and it was something that I saw firsthand. I saw guys do it that I knew. I saw guys do it that I trained with. And so, um, you know, it just seemed like it was always something that was possible. It never seemed like it was this far off dream. And, uh, you know, all I had to do was just put in the work and um, you know, and have the right guidance from, from guys like my dad, my brother, uh, you know, coaches like you. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much, uh, that's pretty much it right there. Yeah. I, I, I like to use the expression, um, the coachless player. And that was you, uh, although you were always, um, ready to work, willing to work, and certainly put in lots of work. Um, you were a guy that I could trust. You know, you send them out there and you know that Mike probably could manage the team. Like my favorite players and the guys who I think are really the most valuable are the guys who know where everyone is, where everyone should be, and essentially could be managers on the field. Uh, And you certainly fit that description. And I just wonder sometimes, although obviously the big league experience is very different, um, how much do you find yourself doing what I call looking around? just making sure guys are in the right spot, anticipating if the ball gets hit down the left field line, what am I going to do if the ball gets popped into right? You know, how much of that do you do consciously uh, during a game? A lot more now um, in pro ball with the shift. You know, I'm constantly looking around because there's so many guys that are, you know, the third baseman's playing shortstop, the shortstop's over on the second base side. So now you really have to know um, – if there's a ball hitting right center, like as a second baseman, I'm not going out anymore for a left-handed ship. That's, you know, that's the shortstop um, or a ball down the left field line and a, and a left-handed shift. There is no more double cut because the second baseman's not, you know, he's going to have to run a mile to, to get over there to the left field line. So definitely a lot more now with, with the shift. Um, it'll be interesting next year, how that plays out when they take away the shift, uh, you know, because to me, like at this point in my career, it's almost natural instinct. It's like, you know, I was talking about this with, with somebody from the Royals, actually, about how scripted the game is at the big league level. You know, there's a there's a ball down the left field line. It's a double. There's a ball in the left field gap. It's a double. Um, there's a ground ball hit into, you know, left field. It's a base hit. Like, there's just – there's not many things that come up in a big league game that surprise you anymore. Um, you know, just because so many guys – you know, I saw you were talking about, like, the Josh Donaldson thing. I mean, I feel like that's – guys just don't run anymore. Like it's just, they, they, they accept almost what the game gives them because you play so much that they're like, Oh, I've hit this ball a million times. That's going to be a homer. So I don't need to run. Or I've hit this ball in the gap a hundred times this year. That's going to be a double. And so even if the guy bobbles it, they still, they're just not running hard enough to to take that extra base for the most part. And so the game has become extremely scripted um, to where you see something and you, it's almost like your body just automatically takes you there. Um, so again, well, it's funny it. you say that because as a kid, we used to play stickball, and if you didn't have enough kids, you played automatics. You know, if I hit it off the top of the roof, it was a double. If I hit it over the roof, it was a home run, that kind of thing. And that is essentially what has happened. And I think another contributory factor to that is the shrinking of the ballparks. The ballparks now are much smaller. So 
in reality, the triple is almost out of play unless the ball gets hit over a center fielder's head. He gets too close to the wall. The ball gets past him. By the time the right fielder gets there or left fielder gets there, you could go to third base. So it's, I, don't, I, I think sometimes the players get a bad rap. The reality is a lot of times running hard doesn't make a difference because there's just not a possibility of you gaining an extra base. Um, we could obviously when the ball's hit on the ground in the hole or something like that, or you're in the playoffs and you see the finish line, you'd like to think that guys are going to leave nothing to chance. But I think the shrinking of the ballpark, uh, has had a lot to do with that. No, I agree. I think it's, I think it's something that at least as I've learned in my career, I've had some, some injuries that have kept me out, you know, with, with my back and, um, I've learned to manage my workload, I think a little bit better. And I, and, I think there's a time and a place. I think you got to understand this goes kind of back to that baseball IQ. You have to understand as a player when you take your chance and when you can serve. And so if it's game 57 and, uh, you know, we're down eight to one or we're up eight to one in the eighth inning and I had a two hopper to the second baseman, probably not going to try to go 100% down the line. And it, and it may piss somebody off that is watching the game and they think I'm, I'm not hustling or whatever. But the reality is when you do it 162 nights a year, um, you know, you can't sprint down that line every night because there's, you know, it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, you forget about how many times you jog out to your position, how long you're on your feet. Um, and so you know, if that ball's three steps to his right and he's got to maybe make a backhand play. Yeah. And I got, I can kind of smell a hit. I think there's a, there's a reason to go there. Now, again, in a playoff situation, all that goes out the window. When, you, when, when Yeah. When you're in the playoffs and, and everything's on the line. You hit a ground ball back to the pitcher. I think you're putting pressure on him. You're going. And just just because from – I think it's tougher to play defense in those situations. And nothing is automatic in a playoff situation. With the with the pressure and the – you want to put as much pressure on that guy as possible. So I saw the other day I was watching the Phillies and the, the Padres and uh, Profar, like, broke his bat and flipped something the second. And um, I'm trying to think who was playing second for the Phillies. Because he just caught it and like almost like nonchalantly like was about to throw it over there and he saw Profar getting down the line and he had to put something on it to get him and you could just tell like if he if he if he bobbled that ball if that ball rattled in his glove face hit um, you know so in that situation that makes sense but you could tell how used to um, just being able to nonchalant catch it throw it over there that the second baseman from the Phillies was because that's what happens all year guy guy hits that ball and he runs. 70% down the line because he knows he's out and you can, you can afford to do that. Um, right. That guy's participating in the game the same way you are. Well, once that guy decides I'm going to bust it, you could have now the element of surprise. You make a bad throw. It's a guy on first base, nobody out. That could change the outcome of a game, especially when the games matter the most, which is in October. Well, there's, there was four hits the other night in that game. So it's like, you got You got You're not going to win based on hitting alone. Like you got to, you have to hope for an error. You got to hope a guy sails one into the stands and you get an extra 90 feet. Like, then that's what I think is so funny about the game today is it's, you know, during the regular season, there's, there's such an emphasis placed on the new school, the new era. We're going to drive the three run home or we're going to put the ball in the gap. We're not going to bunt. We're not going to steal. Um, and then in the playoffs, you kind of see that small ball game. And I think there's this big, disconnect between like, oh, well, which way does baseball need to go? And in my mind, I'm like, why can't we do both? You know, why can't the three-run homer be a part of the game? But also if the third baseman's playing back, why can't you drop a bunt down? 
You know, if there's a runner on second and you have Jose Ramirez up with nobody out, why can't he hit? If the number eight hitter's up, why can't you bunt him over? Like, I think I think sometimes people get caught up and it has to be all or nothing. It's got to be this new school, we're going to hit the three-run homer, or it has to go back to the old school, we're going to bunt, steal, run. It's like, why can't we just meet in the middle and just play the game? Whatever the situation calls for, understand yourself as a player, understand maybe is, if this is a good matchup for you, who's hitting behind you, um, you know, and take all those things into account and then make the decision based on that stuff. And I'm sure your father would concur on this. I would say there is no old school because the three-run homer was very prevalent 40 years ago. Earl Weaver, the famous manager of the Baltimore Orioles, played for the three-run homer. You played for the big inning, except you were willing to set up that big inning. The, the three-run homer has now become three straight home runs, three straight solo home runs we play for. Uh, the difference between then and now is that those guys wanted to set up the home run by getting a walk, getting a single, getting a guy on, and then your power hitter comes up and drives them in with a three-run home run. So nothing is really new. You know, all the great tunes have already been written. We've done everything. The delivery mechanism may be different. Uh, how we come to these conclusions may be different. But what I think you're trying to say, if I'm, if I may, is that – We've created this conflict where there shouldn't be any. There shouldn't be two schools of thought because they really are one school of thought. It's basically we've got to score as many runs as we possibly can. So why wouldn't you want to be able to pick from any part of the menu rather than relegating yourself to just one option? Well, that's, a, that's exactly it. It's like where can the name of the game score more runs than the other team? And so if you're going to give me something, you know, it's like, well, you know, like what, one of the things I actually hate the most, and, and this is kind of on topic, kind of not, but like I hate the unwritten rules of the game. I hate that, like the the third baseman. So this happened a couple times this year where we'd be losing or winning by, by quite a bit. And the third baseman's going to – the defense is going to play a shift on me. So the third baseman's going to go to short. You know, shortstop's going to flip on the other side. Second baseman's playing – and right um, and I can't bunt. And if I bunt, someone's going to get hit. And to me, I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, why can't like, so you're going to take away part of my game because we're winning or losing by a lot. That's something that I do very well. So like, should a pitcher, if you're winning by 10 runs, can a pitcher not throw his curveball? Like, well, you got to take away something from your arsenal. You guys are up by so much. You can't. Hey, the defense, we can defend against what you're going to do, and we could play our odds of where you're going to hit it, but you can't, you can't combat that. And I just, I think it's such an interesting part of the game. It's like part of my, as a player, part of my value is being able to bunt, being able to run, being able to situationally hit. And so if you take that away and you expect me to like, oh, well, now I got to, I got to hit 30 homers with the first baseman or the third baseman, like. There's just there's different parts to everybody's game that make them good, and I think a good team like you you watch the Phillies like they won 87 games, but you can just tell that everybody knows their role. Everybody knows their role, and like you said, it's not like they don't have that disconnect. It's just we're trying to score runs, and whether that's a bunt, whether that's a steal, um, some guys might need to hit the ball in the second base with a runner on second to get them over because Bryce Harper's on deck, you know. And it's like that's one thing when we played Cleveland that was really, really noticeable was how good and just how tight they were. Like 
they had their guy. They had Jose Ramirez. They had Josh Naylor, um, Gonzalez to drive in runs. But then they also, like you talked about, like they set up those big innings with if you made an error or you walked a guy, they were scoring. There was no way around it. Like they were just that elite in their ability to get a guy from the batter's box all the way around a touch on play and score. Yeah, essentially the game comes down to the game comes down comes down to scoring every run you can and getting every out you can because you only get twenty seven outs. What you do with them, how covetous you are of your twenty seven and how stingy you are with giving them more than twenty seven is gonna really say a lot about whether or not you can win or lose this game. And, and, and that hasn't changed. Until that changes, um, you know, that's, that's really this, the main concern. I'm glad you talked about your value because we spoke about this. Uh, we texted back and forth about this very issue, which, which I, I'm going to throw out there and have you comment on. So um, I, I think baseball, and, and, and again, I'm not one of these people who thinks baseball's in bad shape or baseball. It is. The game just keeps evolving and changing. It changed 100 years ago. It's going to change 100 years from now. Uh, but there are different challenges, and some changes are for the better, and some changes are for the worse. Uh, I think some of the safety concerns take away from the value of players, and here's what I mean. Uh, I believe that the uh, one of the separators in baseball is athleticism. And in a game that's becoming increasingly less athletic, less action, less need to move, um, the mandatory slide rule at second base, I believe, took away from baseball one of the single most athletic plays that you see a lot and used to see a lot in baseball, which is a savvy athletic middle infielder, whether it be a shortstop or a second baseman, needing to listen to that internal clock calculate a lot of different things in a very, very short period of time and decide whether or not he's going to hold the ball, take the shore out, continue through with the pivot, make the double play, whatever. That is now gone, gone. A guy basically stands at the bag, catches the ball, and throws the ball to first base without ever worrying about whether or not he's going to get taken out. Now, this in no way is advocating, you know, blocking a guy, running through a guy, and sending him into left field. But, but. A very artful play, athletic and an athletic play, is my ability to catch the ball from the second baseman, read the runner where he is, get up in the air, and make a throw to, to, to first base to complete the double play. That's now gone. And I believe that's part of what makes me valuable as a player, and the game has just unilater- unilaterally removed that. No, I think that's I think that's hilarious because the the funny part about that is like we were just talking about. You watch the playoffs. There's four hits, three hits, two hits, um, and so where do you? You're not finding the value on the offensive side of the ball. Like the value is on the mound, and the value is in your ability to efficiently, like you just said, get those 27 outs. And so if you have a guy at second base or shortstop who can steal an out for you. That's a, that's a, that is a tremendous advantage to the team. That's just going to put the guy who can hit at second base or, or at third base, even like just the, it's, like I said, it's, it's funny to me when you watch the playoffs, how much the game is different. And I think a lot of people will deny it, but it's like, you, you truly see, it's like baseball is unfolded in the playoffs. You truly see what you need to value in order to win. Because you wouldn't, when your back is against the wall, and you need to win to stay alive. You truly you you get guys playing a way of, of 
bunting, running, um, good defense, uh, pitching changes, matchups, like, and you truly, it comes out. It's like, it's your true emotion. It's your true self. It's like, well, we need to win. So we're going to, we're, we have to turn this double play. I think the other day, um, in the Phillies game, maybe it was, I think, I think, uh, the ninth inning, like you saw how, how much that inning changed as a defender. Like I think there was a ball hit the bone, maybe at shortstop and kind of that play where like the throw took the shortstop and the shift a little bit off the base and they ended up dropping it. And that whole inning now is instead of it being runner on first with two outs, that goes to first and second with one out, the amount of pressure and I, I don't think sometimes people realize this, the amount of pressure that comes on a defender when there's runners in scoring position, because now you have to somewhat pay attention to that guy on second base, right? So now you've got to hold him just a little bit. Even if you're not, even if you're not like jockeying him, you're still, he's in your mind, which now draws you maybe a step or two out of position. And now a ball, a, you know, a little broken bat single fault, like things just begin to open up when there's runners on base. Um, and so having a guy at second base who can take away a base runner at first base with a nifty, you know, with nifty footwork or a good throw or, or even like you said, even hanging on to that ball and deciding to not throw it 10 rows in the stands. So now that guy goes to second and there's a runner on second. Those are plays that I think get overlooked. Um, and, and, and one of the things that I'm really excited about next year is that shift going away, because I think for the same reason in the game, and especially for fans, that's going to open up some really fun plays. When you got the second baseman out in right field, there's really no more with a runner on first base. There is no more first to third on a ground ball single to right. Um, the, the game is so calculated now where it's the pitchers are so good. And God forbid you you do hit something hard. The other team knows exactly where you're going to hit it. So it's like the, 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 the like you said, the triple is obsolete. First to thirds are obsolete. Um, Diving plays for the most part are obsolete because the, 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 there's no speaking of value. Like when there's got to be two guys on each side of the base, think about how much more range now your middle infield is going to have to have. Think about what those guys are going to have to cover. You can't just, again, it's going to have to go back to the value of, can you read a swing? Because there's only two guys on each side of the field. So going back to the idea of, okay, I'm watching this guy versus our pitcher and I'm reading his swing, I might have to cheat and take two or three steps because I have to cover so much more ground now. So can I, can I be able to – you're going to start seeing value in guys that can read swings. Um, and I, I think no doubt. No doubt. I, I've always maintained that one of the most important things you could ever do is during batting practice, you know, field, be at your position and predict where that ball – where's that ball going to go? Where's he hitting this one before he hits it? You've got to be able to anticipate. Anticipation is one of the key ingredients in being a good defender so that you arrive at a spot before the ball does. Well, the better you are at that, you're able to separate yourself from somebody who isn't because and, – and this is one of the advantages of metric, advanced metrics. You're going to be able to calculate how many outs my range is responsible for as opposed to somebody else. Right. And the shift, the shift takes that away. Absolutely. It makes it a more ponderous, slower, unathletic game because guys have to move less. And the crazy play is gone. There are no more, you know, even when you think about like double cutoffs and really, it just, it's, it's very automatic. I agree. And the desperation of the playoffs tends to mitigate that a little bit because now every run, you could feel it even as someone who watches the game. 
The guy's on first, nobody out. Well, now there's a high likelihood they could score that guy. They could bunt. He could seal a base. Now the catcher's got to be better at blocking balls. Pitcher's got to be a little more careful throwing the ball in the dirt. It, it opens up a whole you know, Pandora's box of possibilities uh, that make the game far more exciting. Exactly. That's like you, you see a runner on first base. I've seen guys in the playoffs with a runner on first, nobody out, sacrifice on him. Just because it shows the value of getting a runner in scoring position and what that does to a defense mentally, what it does to them, where it pulls them out of position. Now you got to hold that guy in what would have been a routine ground ball to the shortstop becomes a diving play that tips off his glove. And it's just, it, it really shows the value of getting guys closer to home plate, get them closer to, to where they can score. I think you make a great point about the real advantage of, of the shift uh, going away, which is I don't think people appreciate enough because you see way too much emphasis on physical skills. You know, whether it's social media or just everyone is so wrapped up in getting outputs. I don't think people understand and appreciate enough what goes on inside a middle infielder's head in a pressure-packed ball game. In a game that means something, when a guy gets on first, it's late in the game, the score is close, all the things that have to go through your head that you have to worry about um, that in no way involve your physical skills. Speak to some of those things, because we've talked about this a lot, uh, whether it be anticipating where the ball is going to get hit or, you know, anticipating something that's going to happen before it happens. Yeah, no, I think that's, um, again, it just, it, when you get that runner on second, as a second baseman, when there's a guy on second, even if he's not a steal threat, like we had times this year where um, I think Miguel Cabrera may have stolen third on us any game and it was just because it was that we fell asleep and it was like he's like all right I'm gonna take it I'm gonna take even even in the, the situation didn't make sense at all there was two outs in the inning like everything would tell him don't steal but he did it and he, he did it standing up and so like there's things as an infielder like even if that guy's not a base stealing threat you still have to think about him you have to be in the neighborhood um you know you're making sure now you get that runner on second base as a middle infielder you're looking at that base runner, making sure he's not signaling signs. Now your catcher and your pitcher have to start going through multiple sets of signs, which could lead to a cross-up and a pass ball, and now that guy gets the third. Um, and again, there's things like, okay, maybe this guy wants to shoot that hole between first and second because I'm overholding this guy on. Um, so now it's like, what do I have to, in my head, each pitch, I have to, to run the probability and the importance of, like, is it more important for me to be closer to this guy so he doesn't get a, a, a good jump on a base hit or he doesn't get a walking steal? Or do I just shift back over and take away this base hit? And so each pitch is different. Maybe maybe on an 0-2 count, maybe I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to let this guy maybe run if he wants to, but I need to get back over so this guy just doesn't get a cheap 0-2 hit and score that guy. But maybe earlier in the count, I'm like, well, I don't want to let this guy get the third because now he's got to fold it back here at third base for a pass ball, for a dirt ball, for an infield single, for something. So, like, there's just so many things that, that go into it. Um, and, and the more that I think about it, the one that really is the big issue is the guy on second being able to relay signs, being able to look into the pitcher's glove and see a grip. Um, you're Again, kit, pitchers and catchers, like, pitchers are creatures of habit. And so now you got to start – the guy's out there in a pressure moment and he's having to – Instead of just looking for the catcher and seeing a one, he's got to chase the two, add the three, and in his head, he's like, "I don't even know what pitch I'm throwing anymore." And the, you know, he crosses up the catcher, and then you get a you get an infield single, and it's a run. And so those those are things 
again, they come out in playoff situations. You see the value. You see the importance. Um, the amount of mound visits with a runner on second base in a playoff game goes dramatically up than it would in a regular season game. Just because of that stuff, they're changing it every three pitches. And you see, you begin to. So then, so then, if I take your opinion about the shift and extrapolate that to the pitchers, then you would not be an advocate of pitchcom because, and this is why I'm not an advocate of pitchcom. I think it takes immense skill, immense skill and pressure, which adds to the excitement of the game. And baseball is a game, unlike any other sport, what, base, what makes baseball great is that it provides suspense. Baseball will keep you on the edge of your seat. It's not an action game like the other sports are, but it's a very nerve-wracking game if you understand the game. It keeps you on the edge of your seat. And why I think pitchcom is a bad idea is that, well, now... You don't have to hide the signs. Nobody, you know, you've, I've got you in my ear. Your, your catcher has his hand over his shin guard. And you've now taken away one of the really great games inside the games that makes the game so attractive to those of us who have played, managed, coached, or whatever. That's what attracts us to the game. Is this pitcher rattled? Can he handle the pressure of having to change the signs again and having to go to pitcher and the catcher, that intimate relationship that they have, which makes the game really so suspenseful. It makes it cookie cutter. You know, it's like everyone, like, to me, in the argument is like, oh, well, it's going to save time. And I'm like, well, you're still hitting buttons and the guy still got to, has to say yes or no. Like, I don't see how that saves time. So like, you saves time. you're putting the pitch clock in, Mike, Mike, they're putting the pitch clock in anyway. Right, they're putting the pitch clock in anyway. So, what do you need pitch comp for? If it's it's not a it isn't a time saver, and it's baseball's obsession with saving time. It's not how long the game takes; it's the pace of the game that matters. If you just picked up the pace, which if pitchers worked faster and were more decisive, you would have to spend less time hiding signs if you just made up your mind a little quicker and got better at being more decisive as a pitcher and a catcher, working together throughout a season, getting to know each other better strengths, weaknesses, hitters' strengths and weaknesses. You wouldn't need to worry about time because the pace would be picked up. Right. Well, and I think like you said, like it takes away value to some guys. Um, you know, are the, are the Aaron judges of the world going to lose value? No, because Aaron Judge just hits the ball in the ballpark and he hits 300 and he's going to be a great player either way. But maybe for a guy like me, like one of my differences in becoming a good base runner is, okay, I'm on second base. I get my secondary lead. Um, well, you know what? I just saw the catcher and the second baseman make eye contact. I just picked it up because I'm, I'm, I'm focused. I'm locked into the game. I'm locked into what they're doing. I know the score. I know the situation. Not a bad time for them to try to back pick me here. So maybe I read that, and as soon as the pitch is thrown, I get a big secondary, and I know the catcher's coming up throwing, and as soon as he pops up to throw, I take off a third. And now he throws the ball to second trying to backpick me, but because I was one step ahead of him, I'm standing on third base. And what you do is you take away when the when the catcher can just put it in the shortstop's ear saying, hey, we're going to backpick here. Well, there's really no – again, it's very cookie-cutter um, – and you kind of take away those like little nuances, like we talk about. Like, man, like how do you how do you be a good base runner? It's just gonna everything's gonna turn very standard. And like I said, the game's gonna be very it's gonna be more scripted than it already is. 
And I would I would submit that what it does is it makes the play it it diminishes the level of the player pool because to the extent you're asking players to do less you're not getting as good and complete a player you're just not it would be like telling somebody on the pga tour well after your first putt the next putt is good well then all of a sudden you wouldn't get as the 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 pga tour quality player would go down because putting would be less valuable well here's what what you're saying is all of that stuff really doesn't have as much value when in fact it is one of the great separators in the game and does have a lot of value unless you legislate it out of the game which is what you did at second base with the pivot in the shortstop and second baseman and what you've done now with pitchcom and max scherzer is an ardent opponent to pitchcom because he says i've built my entire career i've studied how to conceal my signs you know this is like an art form to me and i thought that was a very articulate response to uh to pitchcom yeah no i i agree and like i said i'm always a big you know the whole like in business follow the money in baseball follow the playoffs follow what teams are doing in the playoffs and that'll show you that's going to show you the real those are the best players in the game right now on playoff on winning teams um and those guys have something to offer fans there's a reason why they're there they're one of the best 10 12 teams in the league like you tune it doesn't make this the second baseman from the new york yankees it becomes no different than the second baseman from the worst team in the league if everything right. is cookie cutter you don't get to see the difference and now it's just like okay what team has aaron judge or what team has the the uh you know jacob Degrom? and that's for yep. the most part going to yep. win but luckily the playoffs are the the playoffs have been the last thing to change, and they really haven't changed over the years. If you watch the playoffs every year, I'm sure for the last 50 years, it's it's the same. Like the game is played with great intensity. It feels the same. Yeah, yes. it feels the same. But then you watch the regular season, and you can see like the game just feels different at times. But the playoffs, it's always the same. And to me, that's one of the things where you got to look at. And when everyone wants to bring all these data, you know, analytics and all these stats in, it's like. It's funny because when it matters most, we don't really, we don't really rely on that. We rely on instinct. We rely on, on your gut feel, on your baseball IQ, on your ability to, to pick up certain things within the game, read a swing. Um, and I, when I watch a playoff game, I think that's well, those, clear as day. Those thousands of hours that you've spent, many of them we were lucky to spend together, learning your craft learning everything about your craft, like soaking it all in, taking it all in, these kinds of things serve to diminish that effort. And you, you turn it into essentially a baseball combine where it's just a matching of some physical skills which don't really define a complete player. They, they just don't. No, and I think, I think it's funny you say that. Like one of the things that I think has come into the game a lot is like weightlifting. Bigger, stronger, faster, um, and I think it's funny because I, as I've gotten older, I used to be a big kind of right early in my pro career, late in my college career. I was like, man, I need to lift weights and I need to get bigger and stronger yeah, and I need yeah. to look like the guys look like on TV. And as I've gotten older, I've actually began to lift weights less and less and less because to me, it's it. not special. It's not like, it's not, spe- if I want to go look at someone who's strong, I could go to any local gym and you can see how, yep. how easy it is to be strong. Like there's nothing, there's, Nothing that people see in that is like, wow, I want to turn on the TV because this guy's big and strong and he can hit a homer uh, once every 20 at bats, 400 feet or whatever. like 
people want to see skill. So now my off seasons are more like hand-eye coordination stuff. How many times can I hit a ball on my bat with one hand and keep going? Um, how many times can I throw a ping pong size ball with my buddy and we throw it as high as we can and it, it moves all, you know, it moves around up there like a ball in the wind and you got to catch it with your bare hand. Like those are things that that's skill. Like I, you can't go to a local gym and find two people to be able to catch that ball. I can go to a local gym and watch a hundred guys bench press 300 pounds. And sometimes what I don't like is I don't Brilliant. like when the game tries to like when people try to make the game into something that's standard. Like it's just not, it's not that easy. It's not a standard game. You can't just throw these things in there that are going to make it vanilla and very cookie cutter and everyone's going to be the same and everyone's going to follow these same rules. And you leave, like you said, you leave no room for skill, which is what actually makes the game. That's why people get on the edge of their seat. If you make it so scripted, it's like, oh, well, I know what's going to happen here. I know that guy's not going to be able to pick the sign. He's not going to get a good jump because he can't even know what pitch is coming. Um, he can't anticipate a dirt ball as much anymore because if you were if you were able to steal the signs or pick up on the signs, that's how guys get such good jumps. And those margins are so close with how talented guys are. Like, if you don't get that head start mentally, like you can't just react. You're gonna get thrown out. Like, the game's just too quick. Guys are too good. So it's like you have. To, that's what yep. makes guys special is that ability. Like their talent paired with their ability to read the game and get good jumps. That's where you get. That's where you get guys who are really special. No like doubt. Three. I tell young players, you know, there's a reason why there's no fungos in the weight room. Because you don't get better at baseball by going in the weight room. And guess what? If you spend enough time in the weight room, you're going to see results, which is why the weight room has become so popular. Because you don't have to confront the fact that maybe my skill level really isn't that good. Because in the weight room, if you spend enough time and you lift enough weights, you will get results. If you're a 16-year-old kid and your body's growing, you're going to get results. So it's a, it's a great false positive that we've foisted upon the baseball community. And in reality, if you're not taking 6,000 fungos a day and playing wiffle ball with your friends and improvising and innovating and finding ways to be creative about how to do things – um, you're not going to, you're not becoming a better player. And, and I, and I, I, I must say as impressed I am with you as, as a person, you're, you're so articulate in how you express in a very, um, sober manner without any ideology, um, the, the definition of what it takes to be a really good player. And, 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 and I knew that immediately when we met that you, you were a different kind of kid and, and, and certainly um, you have proven to be so. But I have some – I, I want to shift gears because as, as we said before, I could do 10 of these with you. And if you want to, you just tell me when you want to do one and we'll just pick a topic and go because there are 6,000 other topics that we could get to uh, throughout the year. And, and, and th- this has been re- really great. But I, I have a couple of uh, lighter questions to ask you really quick before you go. I know you're pressed for time and, and so are we. Um, you know, these, these sport management majors get paid a lot of money to produce the podcast. So, uh, Best clubhouse food. Best clubhouse food. Uh, you're talking about what town or what food, like what actual food? Major League. What, what Major League team has the best clubhouse food? Uh, forget about Kansas Other than Kansas City. We're going to exempt okay. Kansas City from yeah, that's fair. Um, I think the best clubhouse food was Toronto. So Vlad Jr.'s mom, really? I don't know, Vlad Jr.'s grandma makes all the Latin food in uh, for, for both oh, teams, wow. for the home and the away team. So the food there was phenomenal. Oh, my God. 
So they put Vlad Jr.'s grandmother to work, to work 81 now. days a yeah, year. Yeah, she makes all the Latin food. Wow. Good for her. All right, Toronto. Uh, toughest right-handed pitcher you faced? Zach Gallen. Just It doesn't have to be the best right-handed pitcher you faced. Zach Gallen from uh, Arizona. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. That's Nasty curveball. Uh, what, what, what stands out the most? His ability to tunnel. Everything was everything looked okay. like it was going to be a fastball, and it came out of his hand. The flat. same thing. Some of them would right. have that right. rise and stay up. Other ones, right when they got the home plate, would just tumble into the dirt. Could have thrown it to me a hundred times. I would have swung it at all. Toughest over. lefty. Toughest lefty. Toughest lefty. Um, Soto, the uh, the closer for Detroit. There was like a hundred, oh, yeah. hundred and one you know power sinkers, nasty slider. Um, he was good, but I will give an honorable mention to Rich Hill. Uh, you want to talk about like a guy who okay. just knows the game and knows the ins and outs and um, stuff-wise, I'm nothing sure. special anymore at 42 or 43 years old. But right. you, you really just see Crafty. the value of a guy who can mess with your timing, sequence pitches, yes. um, and he turned average yep. stuff into he's still pitching in the big leagues. Yeah, guys like that feel like they're a step ahead of you. Um. Give me a player who surprised you. Wow, this guy's better than I thought. I didn't realize he was this good. Um, hum, uh, Andres Jimenez from Cleveland, second baseman. That can just he's hit, good. Man. I like him yeah, a he lot. He can just hit. I know he's struggling I like a him bit. a lot. He came over from New York in that Lindor trade and struggled a little bit in New York, but like watching him this year, it's just, man, if there's a He hole, moves good, that kid. Yeah. I love just him. Really, that whole Cleveland. Team yeah, I like really yeah, and I, and I he strikes me as a kid who uh, plays a very sober kind of game. He's not easily rattled. He seems to have a good approach, uh, both on the field and at, and at bat. I, I like him a lot, a lot. Um, in the big leagues, what's easier than you thought it was going to be? Um, uh, you know, I would say playing. I, I thought the uh, environments were going to be like. I thought like playing in front of. 40,000 people or 30,000 people was going to make the day or make the game feel different. Um, and it's interesting that when you're out there in that kind of environment, the game still feels like game. Like it's not because when you go to a game, you right. feel the energy in the stadium. When you're playing in the game, yes, you're so focused on what you're doing. You get immersed thought, in what yeah, you're doing. I thought that that was going to be more of like a, it's cool, but I thought it was going to be something that was going to like, I was going to have to work through and it, it really, it really wasn't. I think that speaks to your pedigree. I really do. Um, what was harder than you thought it would be? Um, the, I think hitting. I really do. I, I think everyone everyone always talks about like, oh, it's the same stuff. It's just you know, it's, it's the same stuff. You just got to get used to it up there. And I think guys are so much better at, at again, like we talked about, reading swings, um, sequencing their pitches. The stuff may be the same, which is what I think sometimes people say, but how they use that stuff. Um, and the sequencing that they're able mm -hmm. to pull out, um, you know, I think I went 0 for 15, maybe one time in my minor league career. I was 0 for 15, three times in two months. Like it just, it adds right. up quick. There is no break. Um, there's no like, Hey, I'm going to get my knock today off of this guy. It's like, I'm over my last 12 and we got the, you know, Zach gallon today. So it's just, there's no break. Right. There's, right. There's no break. All right. Last one. How reliant are you? Because one of my pet peeves about everyone, and this goes for every uh, level of the game, even guys who aren't um, 
don't have technology available to them. Nobody watches the game anymore. You got to watch the game. There's a lot to glean from just watching the game. How reliant are you on the tablet? Not, not very. I go and I'll not during the game. I will say that I don't. I don't like to watch it during the game. I will go back and watch it after because I think there's some things that I can pick up and learn. Sure. But um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think you learn. Uh, you know, like before. Before I have it at bat, there's guys who will watch the tablet from the TV view. I'm more big on like, what does the sheet say? And then let me watch them warm up. Because uh, I'm not going to see that right. view in the box that. from behind them. So that, that doesn't really do much for me. And half of the time, the center field camera's off angle anyway. So it's a lot. It doesn't right. give you the true movement. Yeah, I, I've always advocated that first person information. I, 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 was, I, I was never in love with uh, when the preceding hitter uh, gets up, uh, makes out. Guys ask him, what's he got? What's he got? Well, that's his perception of what he's got. Like what you see is first person. What you're getting from him is now third person kind of stuff. And I've, I, I've, I've always thought that that was information that you might not want to lean on because if I'm the kind of guy who has difficulty with the breaking ball, I'm going to see every breaking ball like it's the greatest one I've ever seen in my life. And now you've got that in your head and you're walking up to the plate. Well, that's a recipe for failure, I, I think. So I, I really do think we could stand to have more guys Watch what's going on and let your brain do what it does best, which is collect all that data and information far better than any computer does. Uh, but there are games I see where nobody's watching the game, literally. Yeah. But the only, the only thing that I like to use it for is if we have a guy who the slider, I think, is interesting because there's the slider is such an interesting pitch in baseball because there's so many different variations of it in my mind. Some guys have, you watch like Dylan Cease, he's got such a tight, across and then down with his slider but then so many guys like when you face seattle so many guys come out of their bullpen and they throw the, like these frisbees that don't necessarily have any depth to them they just go straight across and so the only thing right. i like to right. see from the pitcher angle is like what if a guy's got a slider what is that doing do i see depth do i not see depth because that's going to determine if i see more depth then i necessarily i can keep them more middle of the plate if i see more sweep I might have to push him out over the plate and get away from that inside corner because anything that starts in is right. going to run in on right. me. So that that like things like right. that, I'll kind of take a look at. But um, yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't like. I think you can get in your own head too much about like watching it from that angle. And I, like you said, I also think some guys see movement really well. Other guys don't see movement really well. So I, I've never. Right. I've, I'm with you. I've never been a big like, hey, what does this guy got? Because it's like, oh, it's too, it's it's running a bunch. So then you get up there and you take the first pitch because you're like, well, I want to see what this thing's doing before I swing at it. And he throws you a fastball yeah. right down the middle, and you're like, that moved like two inches. And now you're on right. And and I I think it's like having pitches called for you when you're a young player as a pitcher. It's the same sort of thing. Like. I, I want you to be self-reliant. I want you to discover for yourself what you could do. And also, I don't want to give you a crutch such that when I call the pitch for you, you now have a built-in excuse as to why that guy got a double on that because that was the pitch that you called, not the pitch that I wanted. And I, think, I, I don't think there's any substitute, whether you're a hitter or a pitcher or you're a second baseman or a shortstop, than conviction. Knowing what you know and being able to respond in, a, in an instant without without any hesitation, if you will. And the minute somebody's in your ear, there's got to be something that's lost between getting that information, processing it, and then applying it. No, I couldn't. I could not agree more. I really couldn't. Well, that's why we get along. 
Uh, so I know you, if I know we got to wrap it up, you got to go. I can't thank you enough, man. This has been fabulous. You know, it warms my heart whenever I get to speak to somebody who's just knows so much about the game. Um, it's, it's something we need a lot more of, and we'll do this again. You just let me know when you get a free hour or so in the next month or two, uh, and we'll do it. If you're going to be in New York, uh, we'll have dinner. And please send my best to your father and to your family. Great people. I love them both. And I can't thank you enough, man, for stopping by. I love no, you. No, absolutely, Tommy. I, I appreciate uh, appreciate you having me on. And uh, I love getting to talk to you. I, I, you know, the, That summer in the Cape was, was one of my best baseball memories, being able to, to one, be out there in that league and, just, and playing that, and then, two, be around you and, and get to uh, get to pick your, your big brain on, uh, on infield play, on hitting, on on situational stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it still is one of the, the fondest memories that I have of, of playing. And so, uh, you know, anytime we get a chance to, to catch up, it's, it's something that I love to do. So, um, yeah, I would, I would love to be back on and, uh, anytime, anytime, uh, you shoot me a text, I'll, I'll be on. So if I'm in New York, you're going to have to take me to the best restaurant, you know, and uh, I'm sure we'll be there for, for I know a couple a lot hours into the early, early morning, early morning hours as well. So, <laughs> Uh, again, thanks, Tom, and uh, appreciate all you got for me and, and for my career. You bet. All right, pal. We'll speak soon. Thank you so much, Michael Massey. Thanks, kid.